Bird to your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a couple of feathery brethren weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like bacon, steaks, and cheese. It's Philadelphia, Bowen, Sheila, the cut, kicking it cooler than two penguins. Still Bo's old arch nemesis, Greg Cosell shows up and it gets real. Pull up a branch and chill, it's time to get ill with some Birds with Friends. The early birds gets the worm and prefers getting turned like a turn on some Birds with Friends. Bo Opens you come Coming at you with stats and things, flapping their wings. The Eagles are Super Bowl champions. I'm going to get drunk. Where them beers, where them beers. All bottles on Mr. Lurie tonight. Damn, that's going to make me throw up. What was it like to have Bradley Cooper in the booth? We the best. No one could have got me a Caprice. Where's the ball security? Touchdown, Tom. Loser. Nick Foles never lost a Super Bowl. Uh, Birds with Friends Radio right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. No, Nick Foles has never lost a Super Bowl. And this segment, this hour... It's uh, it's never been beat because every week we have three segments for you. Every week we have a bird pun, and every week Shiel Kapati and Bo Wolf join me here. Shiel, how you doing? I'm doing good. I got to be at the airport in about eight hours for this trip. Uh, what do they say? Across the pond? Across the pond. So I got to get early all, wake up. I, I got to get all my takes out here because I don't think the the people sitting with me on the plane going over to London are going to want to hear what I think about the. Uh, Eagles red zone offense. Well, you've come to the right place. To the motherland for me. I've got my (laughs) tea right here. We're ready to go. Can you do that for the full hour here, Bo? No, please. (laughs) I did it for the show yesterday. Yeah, he did that for another podcast. Let's let's be we'll be professional here. All right, well, that's that's not a prerequisite. Brits can't be professional. Of course not. Okay. All right, let's get into it here. We got a lot to get into. Our three questions. Well, that'll be our first segment, and then a new segment for segment two this hour. Eight at eight seven two nine nine four nine four. If you guys want to hop in. Let's start with this. I'm going to save the Carson Wentz thing because I had I had to throw something at you guys. You've got a spicy take. I've got a take Ooh. for you, and Steele doesn't know about it yet. I think mm. Bo has kind of heard a little I bit can about smell my it in take. The air. But I will come back to that. Let's start with what I've been talking about the last hour: players versus coaching, because it's been a big topic this week. Blame this guy, blame that guy. A lot of it I hear comes back to Doug Peterson, Jim Schwartz, one or both. Where do you guys fall on this in terms of who's more at fault right now? And I understand that the answer is somewhere in the middle. They're all at fault. But if you had to pick, Shield, players or coaches right now for why this team is where they are? Mm, that's a tough one. I heard your take on the way in, and I was getting ready to come in and go the other way. I think if I had to pick one, you're probably right that it is more on the players. However, I don't like letting the coaches off the hook, and I think you overstate it when you say, oh, it's all the players and you know the coaches are doing fine. I mean, there are some very specific examples of this, whether it's Doug Peterson after writing a book titled Fearless and then ending the first half by just being turtling up and getting conservative and not being the guy he said he was. He did that in Tennessee, too. It's twice now. I've got, yeah. I've got hey, some oh, numbers yeah. on that later okay. in the show. Oh, for right. I look worry. forward to hearing those. Whether it's Jim Schwartz calling some of you mentioned the Tennessee game, the same coverage that was giving up explosive play after explosive play, that's being called in the fourth quarter. And I also think that there's a little bit of, you know, which side of the ball are we talking? I think I'm more on your side if we're talking about the offense. I see sort of the opportunities there not being capitalized on. I'll ask you this. Look at the defense. Who is who is who are the players who are meeting or exceeding expectations on the defensive side of the ball? I think you've got Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett and that's probably it. Two right? out of 11. Yeah. So Coaching has, you know, coaching has to play a role. It's a there. Fair point. Two a, out of eleven is not good. So that, that's my take. But coaching plays a role. But but you're so you're leaving the nine players who are underperforming off the hook. Not off the hook, but many of them showed us that they had something more in them at some point. 
So I think maybe the coach needs to draw, you know, isn't that part of the coach's job is to draw it out of them? Well, and then, you know, we can we can do this all day, and then you can also say, you know, what what role does Howie Roseman and the personnel department Ooh. play in here and, uh, you know, continuing to let these old guys be on the defense. So uh, it is, you know, it's hard to identify exactly what percentage is what, but uh, I think that's right. I think I actually think on the defense I would blame the players a little bit more because they are well. It's not that I would blame the you players. You would blame I would, the personnel. I would blame side. the personnel. Okay. On on, on defense, right. I would if I was ranking the problems, I think I would go with personnel first, and then on the offense, I think, you know, I think I might I might even go coaching. Really? Okay. Why? But the other thing is, is are you a run past truther, Bo? Absolutely not. <laughs> what we do have to keep in mind is, you know, there are all these different explanations. One of them being the injuries that they've that they've sustained. But again, that goes to personnel too. These are all these old guys who were due to break down. Um, I mean, listen, if you if you want to play that same game we played on the defense on the offense, how many guys are are overperforming? Carson Wentz, Alshon, Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz. Yeah, maybe just those three. Probably just those three, right? Yeah, not enough. So, not enough, not enough not to enough. get the team above where they are. All right, let's. You guys mentioned Howie and the team that was put together here. There was a perception before the season started that the Eagles were a better roster, better team than they were a year ago. And in some spaces, you could say, oh, I, I see why this is the perception. But there also were a lot of injuries they were coming in with, which last year those guys came in healthy. I didn't truly believe they'd be better because it's hard to be better than thirteen and three and be it's as dominant. Yeah. yeah, it's just it never felt real. I also didn't think they'd be three and four after seven weeks. How about the job shield that Howie Roseman did this offseason, which I think is starting to become a topic the last couple of days. Like, hey, this team isn't very good. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, the n- narrative definitely has changed. Yeah, it was in the summer. It was, is this the deepest roster in football or one of the deepest rosters in football? And now that's certainly changed. You know, I, I think he knew going into the last couple of years that it was sort of a tough spot when you give up what you had to give up to go get Carson Wentz and you're hamstrung a little bit and you have this window with a quarterback on a rookie deal, you know, you go for it a little bit more. But certainly, you know, I think when they made, like, the Haloti Nada signing and even bringing back Darren Sproles and saying, can we trust Jason Peters? Like, all those things were open to being questioned. I can't say I looked at those and said, what are they doing? These are crazy moves. I could see the thought process behind them. And I think part of it is just the injuries that have occurred have been sort of different than last year. You know, last year it was like, all right, Jordan Hicks goes down. Well, Nigel Bradham can slip in there. It's not that big of a deal. This year it's like Rodney McLeod goes down. Do we have any, anybody, right. anyone want to play safety? <laughs> Do you have a safety? They don't even have a safety. <laughs> which, yeah, which is a tough position to fill around the NFL. So I think there's been quite a lot of that this year where you're sort of getting hit in the same areas, whether it's wide receiver Matt Collins and Mike Wallace and Alshon Jeffrey missed time and then running back. Well, it's Corey Clement and Darren Sproles. Like, could these things be spread out a little bit mm. and you'd be in better shape probably? But, you know, I, so there's some stuff you can prepare for and other stuff you can't. And, I mean, obviously there's no Eagles fan who's, who would trade the, you know, sort of win-now moves of last year versus, uh, you know, a few extra wins mm-hmm. this season. And it's probably the odds are that if you hit on so many older one-year uh, contract guys last year or short-term contract guys last year, you're not going to hit on all of them again. You know, Patrick Robinson turned out to be a great signing. Yeah. Chris Long, all these guys. Uh, Mike Wallace didn't turn out to be such a great signing. So, I mean, some of it is just sort of uh, the odds and you've got this aging roster, but, you know, we're going to see now. Does Howie Roseman try to do a win-now move again as the, the trade deadline comes down here with uh, less than a week to go? Or does he sort of let this team do what it's going to do and keep the draft picks. Frankly, you know, I think with the, the Carson Wentz mega extension coming down the pike, as we've talked about 
I think you sort of got to keep those draft picks, especially the you know the, the top ones, because you look at the lack of depth they have right now. If, for instance, Donnell Pumphrey had hit, then all of a sudden you've got a little bit of an answer at running back. So they've got to keep uh, the draft picks and, and try to keep hitting on those shots. I agree. And if they do anything, and that you, that you segued us perfectly to our second big question, if they do anything, they probably have to be smart about how much they give up to add something. What's the biggest scene right now? So the trade deadline is six days from today. At 4 o'clock next Tuesday, the 30th, there's a trade deadline. Bo, what's, when you look at this roster right now, if you're Howie, and you could only, and I really think they can only get one thing. I don't think he's going to make three trades. If, he, if he's going to acquire one position, what's the one? Well, it's, it's tough to say what's the one position versus what's realistic because, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to get a premium pass rusher in the trade market, especially a younger player. But if you could tell me that I can add any player on the, uh, in the NFL to this roster, that's what it would be. It would be a premier edge pass rusher with Derek Barnett down. We know that this defensive line wants to thrive on some kind of rotation. And right now, you're looking at, like, I don't know, Josh Sweat playing 40% of the snaps. Is, is he ready to contribute in a meaningful way? I think I'd be a little bit surprised. And so uh, I think the Barnett injury changes the calculus. I think I would say a, a pass-rushing defensive end. But other than that, what's realistic, I, I still think wide receiver is, is the most realistic potential add for this team at, at, a, at a relatively premium price. I think the big thing that they will be looking for is can we add a player who is going to fill a hole in 2019 and beyond? You know, you look at, you want to look ahead to the offseason. What do they need? They're going to need a pass rusher. They're going to maybe need a safety. You're probably going to need a cornerback, wide receiver. I mean, there are a lot of holes that are going to need to be filled this offseason. So if you look at it and say, well, this guy's not going to be a free agent, but we can get him now. We got to give something up, but maybe that makes sense. So I think that's the overall approach, but you know, I was watching this Jaguars defense and watching some offenses around the league and re-watching the Eagles offense, and I just feel like the Eagles are slow on offense. Yeah. I mean, They're sluggish. I mean, there's just not a guy, you know, like Alshon Jeffrey is the guy making the most plays for them, and he's looked fantastic. Like, he looks like a different guy than last year, but look at these other teams around the league. I mean, when's the last time the Eagles got the ball to a player in space and that guy made a couple people miss and it turned into an explosive play. I mean, again, Alshon Jeffrey did, actually did that last week, but Nelson Aguilar, I mean, they're throwing him the ball within one yard of the line of scrimmage. He's not outrunning anybody, whether that's coaching or him, whatever it may be. You're getting nothing from uh, your other wide receivers. Zach Ertz is having a great year, but he's not that kind of player. No one in the backfield. I mean, you rewatch their run plays from last week. And I counted like three or four in the first half alone where I'm saying if they had a above average back, this is a 15, 20-yard gain. And those guys are just one-on-one with the safety or a linebacker, and they're getting tackled. So uh, to me, I think add some speed, a weapon-type guy on offense. I think wide receiver is probably the most likely position to do that. But, you know, I don't even know that a great pass rusher is going to make this, like, huge difference. I think the defense is going to be mediocre to below average, and your best chance is let's get everything to click on offense somehow, look a little bit like last year, and try to outscore teams, put up 30-plus points. And I think uh, wide receiver is probably the position that can help you the most. I do wonder how much they look at Mac Hollins and Mike Wallace potentially coming off injured reserve as as something that can help the, Mm -hmm. the wide receiving crew. It's not like they were lighting the world on fire when they were healthy. I mean, Mac Collins went down before the season started, but he's due to come off, I think, after this next game. Do they look at him as some kind of uh, field stretcher? It doesn't that excite doesn't me. It doesn't excite me. Mac no. Collins never really done anything in the NFL. Yeah. It's just like the idea of Mac Collins is right. great. He was fine when he played, but yeah, you know. he had one, one touchdown. 
It's the Redskins bomb. last year. Yeah, I liked him. I mean, I liked what I saw last year, but you're right. That's not like a yeah, proven no, commodity. Yeah, he's no panacea. And when was the last time they, they drafted an explosive player? It's been a long time. Like, mm-hmm. they drafted guys they hoped could become them, but, like, a guy that becomes one on the field. Is it Deshaun Jackson? Is it LaShawn McCoy? Like, a truly explosive yeah. player. It's been a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I think that they hoped that Nelson Aguilar would be yes. that. But, uh, and he, yeah, and at times he was last year. I mean, he was, he was getting open down the field uh, a lot more, I felt like, or making people miss one-on-one more so than he is this year. Well, right, we, we'll get to that in the next segment, too. Yes, oh, we will. Geez, all right. Wow. We all right. Can all right. I say anything in this segment? Going to save it all? No, what you're we, teasing it well. No, this is uh, good radio. Oh, Great good. radio. I wasn't sure. Okay. All right, we buried the lead here, which is we should have led with this. this is, good radio would have led with this, but I wanted to build this up. So Carson Wentz and the Eagles' office did not come through at the end of the game. They had a chance to pass interference. They had the ball deep in, in Carolina territory. They could have come back and really rescued the game and won it there. They didn't. Carson didn't play very well. Almost had the pick. Missed Wendell Smallwood. It was wide open. Would have been a first down. A lot of talk this week, and I've been part of this, on Carson Wentz late in games and what he's done in his career. So, it's not just Sunday. There's been a sample here where he hasn't really performed like he does in other spots late in the game when they're losing. Shield, do you think we're all making too much of this, or do you think there's starting to become something here where you start to wonder what is Carson Wentz late in the game when you're down a touchdown or four points? I think we're probably making too much of it. I would agree with you that at the end of that game, you know, I, I know some are just Carson is immune to any type of Criticism, and I, I think he criticized himself. The coaches have been pretty clear that on that last series, I mean, you watch the last two plays, like you said, on one of them, that should be an easy read to Wendell Smallwood for a first down, and you have four chances to get into the end zone. And even the next play, he got some pressure from the right side, but you can certainly make the argument. Alshon Jeffries open, that's a completion, that's a first down. But when I'm looking at the big picture, I don't see anything in his mental makeup, the way he's wired, that would tell me, wow, this guy's going to have issues at the end of games, I think he is still young. I think a lot of quarterbacks kind of go through this uh, process, whether it's not being able to beat a certain defense. or I mean, there are ups and downs early in these guys' careers, and he's not what he's going to be eventually, I think. I think, you know, five, six years from now, if we're having this conversation or five, six years into his career, uh, then I would be more prone to saying uh, there might be something there. I'm not there yet. Yeah, I know Jimmy Kemsky did a look at the nine potential game-winning drives that he's had, but six of them came in his rookie season. I'm not really willing to give that too much credence. He's, I think, one for three over the last two seasons. You had the, the Jake Elliott field goal against the Giants last year, and then the two failures this year against the Titans, and then last week against the Panthers. I mean, I, I give Carson Wentz a lot of blame for that loss last week, but in the grand scheme of things, I'm not super worried about it. I think we'll sort of look at this the way we looked at uh, you know, consternation about his deep ball problems in the beginning of last season. I think for a player this good, it will it will correct itself over time. All right, I have a take I have to throw at you guys. And yeah. I, I need to hear, and, and Shield, I think this is the first time you're going to hear this one. I'm bracing myself. Yeah, so I need just a true reaction out of Shield on this. Okay. Would you say, I'm going to describe a quarterback. Okay. And would you say, I want you to tell me if this describes Carson Wentz. Okay. He's mobile. He's got really good stats. He has a fumbling problem. He is not as good late in games in, his, in the beginning of his career as he is earlier in games, especially when the game is close or, or tied or something like that, like we were just discussing. Would you say that is a fair way to describe Carson Wentz? I don't know if I agree with the last point, but the other ones I will say yes. Would you say that was also a fair way to describe? Well, I'll throw one more, one more point in there. That his, when his team was loaded, like last year, a lot of wins piled up. First year, third year, the team isn't as loaded it's not as easy to win football games. Would you, would you say that is a fair way to describe his career so far? Uh, sure. 
Okay. okay, I'll go with you. Would you then also say those same adjectives, mobile, good stats, when the team was loaded, he was really good. And the loves team country won la- singers. Loves country singers. Fourth quarter issues, fumbling issues. Would you also say the beginning, the first three years of Tony Romo as a starter was wow. similar? Wow. Would you say this, they're this similar? This place is going down. This place is on fire. Mm. I see a lot of okay. young Tony Romo his first three years. In Carson Wentz. Now, Tony Romo, that continued to be his narrative right. as his career went on. Carson may not. He may have a million game-winning drives and not turn the ball over enough. I don't know. I'm just saying their first three years, I see similarities. Well, I always thought, and this is going to be a take that may get me kicked out of the studio. I, I always thought Tony Romo got a kind of a raw deal. I agree. For, for so I don't, I'm, not, I'm not coming from a place of, oh, he, so Romo was awful, right. Wentz is awful. I, Romo was good. I mean, and I look at that Titans game, and like that wasn't Carson Wentz. I mean, you can give me the numbers all you want and say what the final result was. I understand that. That's fine. At some point, the other players have to do their jobs as well, and that loss in my estimation, was definitely not on him. If this last one, if you want to say he was the issue down the stretch on offense, I actually think that that uh, that would be certainly more reasonable. Bo? Well, I mean, listen, you've you've got some differences that are important with Carson Wentz and Tony Romo, starting with just sort of draft pedigree. Carson Wentz is coming in as a second overall pick. Tony Romo was a a sixth rounder fighting his way in the league. I qualified it by their first three years as starters, but Tony Romo sat for a while. Right. Meanwhile, Carson played right away. So that's now, without, fair to bring up. Without looking at it, uh, knowing the numbers off the top of my head, did Tony Romo throw a, a few more interceptions than our, than our friend Carson Wentz, yes. I would guess? Their completion percentages are almost identical. Their yards per attempt, Romo was better. Fumbles are The fumbles thing the is fu- where I thought of it. Romo mm. fumbled a lot. Had a lot of those late games, like all oh, the ball fell out of his hand, yep. Cowboys lose. And the Wentz thing reminded me of it. I think, you know, I, I would say that I am more concerned about Carson Wentz's fumbling issues than I am about his end of game performances. I think that's more of a thing that we see that will have a little bit more carryover over time. And and listen, I think some of that is you sort of have to take it with the big plays that he gives you, the sacks that he takes. You're going to get those because he's trying to make big plays and extend big plays. But, uh, you know, that to me is something that could carry over. And, and it's good that he's not throwing interceptions, but he still can't be, uh, you know, just putting the ball on the ground. I would also disagree that Wentz, like this narrative that Wentz had a loaded team last year, and that's what was leading to the record. I mean, I, I feel like the opposite, like he's bringing those guys up. If you just took his supporting cast in a vacuum and compared it to the 31 other teams, I don't think that's like a, you know, top eight to ten unit. I, I totally agree with that. I feel like, mediocre I, unit. I feel like so we are. So you don't are, think the team last year was as good as it was made out to be roster-wise? I think that's right. I think we are over uh, overrating how good the entire roster was last season. Even though they won without him. I mean, you had. How did they do that? Well, you got. Well, it's kind of. It's a good discussion. They got performances from guys like Chris Long, Nigel Bradham, Jalen Mills. I mean, these guys were performing above their career. Stefan Wisniewski, above the you know the old back of the baseball card thing. Like they were performing above that. Patrick Robinson. Yeah, I mean Patrick. It all kind of came together in one year. It sounds weird to say. It's a weird coincidence, but it is kind of true. And the opposite's happening this year. On the other side, we will talk about some of those guys. We're going to debut a brand new segment. Mm. Ostrich of Time. We'll tell you all about it, and we'll talk about some of those players that last year did a lot this year, might not be doing as much. That's coming up. Birds with Friends, 888-729-9494. Before we hit this, though, Bo, why don't you tell us about The Athletic and how everyone could subscribe to read you guys. Theathletic.com slash WIP gets you 30% off and a free one-week trial. Theathletic.com slash Philly is where you can get everything that you need to know about Philly sports and most sports. 
for that matter. You can check out Shields' All-22 breakdown of what exactly, precisely went wrong at the end of the game for the Eagles and that epic collapse against the Panthers if you can uh, allow yourself to cry a little bit more. All right, Ostrich of Time coming up next. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Welcome back. 827 on a Wednesday night. That means it's Birds with Friends Radio. Joe Giglio alongside Stuart Capati and Bo Wolf. Not a Phillies win. Not a Phillies win. This was our Phillies win song. That's when we used to come on after the Phillies games. And there weren't many. People haven't heard this song. The whole month of September, we didn't play this one. We're playing it now, though. Birds with Friends Radio. Shio Capati and Bo Wolf in with us. They're from The Athletic. All right, let's debut this new segment here. And, and Bo, uh, I'll give you the floor here. As every week, the second segment always has something unique with a bird pun. That's right. And that's what we do on Birds with Friends, which, of course, you can subscribe to on any uh, podcast service. This segment, guys, will be called Ostrich of Time because we're talking about players over a stretch of time, namely from the start of the 2017 season to the 2018 season. I'm going to give you some guys. I want you to tell me if they are closer. Their true talent is closer to what they did last year or what they are doing this year. This will be interesting, mostly because Shield a few minutes ago basically said the 2017 team stunk and they somehow won. <laughs> and Joe, just so you know, like the, when Bo is explaining the bird puns, like mm-hmm. that's a time to like check your phone or you know. I have been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Ostrich okay. of time. Here we go. go ahead. So rude. <laughs> all right, we're going to start with the right tackle, Lane Johnson. Last year, of course, he was uh, an All Pro, arguably the best tight or the best tackle in the entire league, shutting down the likes of Von Miller. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. This year, he has been just okay. Victimized for big plays by the likes of Harold Landry and Stephen Weatherly. Who are those guys? Tell me if you think Lane Johnson at 28 years old is closer to 2017 Lane Johnson or 2018 Lane Johnson. I think he is closer to 2017 Lane Johnson. I think he's having a bad year. Uh, Obviously, now he's playing with an injury, but even before he was injured, he wasn't playing well. I think he's having a down year, but if you're asking me kind of at his age, he should be right in his prime. He's got the athleticism. He should continue to have the experience, I think, down the road. I don't know if it'll be this year. Maybe it will be. Maybe he'll get some, you know, a nice rest at the bye week and come back in the second half and play better. Maybe it'll take until next year for him to get back on track, but I think there will be Years ahead, games ahead, reps ahead, where he looks more like the guy from 2017 than he does right now. I agree uh, that he's he's closer to being really good than he is what we've seen this year. Though I will say this about Lane, and it's been a, a weird variety of reasons. This year, the injury in the past, the suspension. Lane Johnson is an inconsistent offensive lineman from year to year. Usually mm-hmm. the really good ones are the same player. Like Jason Peters, when he was in his prime, he was just really good every year. Lane Johnson, I don't know what I'm getting every year. That's, I don't like that. That's a good take. You're right. I just want a, co- yeah. a consistent Lane Johnson. Yeah, normally you have the, you know, Pro Bowl offensive yeah. lineman, and he's just making it every year. It's kind of boring. Everyone knows his name, and he gets beat once in a while, but it's no big deal. But you're right, man. The up, the ups and downs of this NFL lineman's career are Weird. unprecedented. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. It's very true. And yet, you know, he is really the only guy who you can, if, if you're looking at who's going to be in the starting lineup of the Eagles offensive line, Three years down the road, and that's a long time in the NFL. That's an eternity. He's he's the only one who you could probably say will be for the Eagles. You're such an ageist, by the way. I mean, every old person, like you're just like, get him out of here. I'm a realist. <laughs> I like that. All right, next up, and I agree with both of you on Lane Johnson. Next up, we're going to talk about Nelson Aguilar. Last year, Nelson Aguilar averaged just under four catches a game for 48 yards per game with a 65% catch rate. He did have eight touchdowns. 
He had 12.4 yards per catch, which among qualifying receivers was 42nd out of 72. This year, he has more catches per game, 5.4, but for only 46 yards per game. His catch rate is a little bit up. He only has one touchdown and only 8.5 yards per catch, which is 88th of 90 qualifying wide receivers. Is Nelson Aguilar closer to last year's version or this year's version? Joe, we'll get you first this time. I'm going with this year's version. I'm down on Nelson, and I feel like if he was better than this, if he was like last year, like they would use him more. They would get him down the field. I, I feel like all the players this year that maybe have lost money or lost their future with the Eagles, it, he might be the one. He's, they could pay him after this year. And I don't know how they pay him anything more than money of a decent slot receiver. There's been an opportunity to move outside this year to open things up, and either he can't do it or they don't think he could do it. I think this is Nelson Aguilar. That's a good point. I think I think I'm going to agree with you on that one. You know, he, he struggled early in his career. Obviously, 2016, he had the confidence issues. And then last year, I think more receiving yards from the slot than anyone in the NFL. He was a playmaker. He was consistent. He had good hands. He was fantastic in the Super Bowl. But you do make a good point. I mean, this is a year where they've had so many injuries where they really could have used a guy like him to step up and say, hey, we're going to feed you, make some plays. We're going to use you in a variety of ways. And that hasn't happened. I'm going to dig into the numbers uh, on the Athletic Philly during the bye week. But it also feels to me like they think they're better shit. Like Zach Ertz is having so many receiving yards from the slot. I think he's stolen some of those from Aguilar, and they're trying to run him on these fly sweeps or they're throwing bubble screens to him. And even in that game, when he's getting matched up against guys, like there was the one play against Eric Reed, he couldn't get outside. There was another, I think, Shaq Thompson, the linebacker, caught up to him. Uh, so I think part of it is scheme-related. Part of it is sort of Aguilar's skill set. But, yeah, I mean, if you're him and his agent, you can't go into the market and say, hey, we, we can be a like high-level outside wide receiver in the NFL. You can make the case that, hey, you know, I can be one of the best slot receivers in the NFL, but that's going to come with a smaller payday. And it's going to be really interesting to see when they have to be so careful with a lot of these dollars around Carson Wentz, whether he's a guy who's going to be around here or not. Yeah, looking at these numbers, I was actually a little bit surprised at, at how unimpressive his numbers last year were aside from the touchdowns. But I think, you know, one thing we talk about a lot, Sheil, is, you know, watch what the coaches do and not, don't listen to what they say. We have talked about this offense is desperate for somebody to stretch the field, and the fact that they are not using Nelson Aguilar in that way tells you that they don't really think that he can do that, I think. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, they've had injuries to outside with re- receivers, and he's just staying in the slot, and they're signing Jordan Matthews and Kamar Aikens getting out there. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. All right, next up for you, Shield first, Corey Clement. Last year, 4.3 yards per carry and had about 5.3 yards per touch from scrimmage, which if he qualified, which he didn't quite qualify, would have been seventh best in the league among the hmm. 47 running backs in the league. This year, down to 4.7 yards per touch, which is 24th of 46. He's just at 3.5 yards per carry. 13 catches for 116 yards. I think he's more of the guy we saw last year. I'm not ready to say this is the guy you're you're going to see for uh, his entire career. I mean, he just showed too many flashes, leading receiver in the Super Bowl. He did it all, receiver, blitz pickup, could run the football inside and outside. You're right, it, it just hasn't clicked for him this year. Not You know, he's battled through some injuries. Maybe that's a big part of it. I don't know, but 
it's kind of a little bit of a similar situation as with Aguilar. You know, they're desperate for a running back to come in and just say, listen, I'm way better than that other guy. Uh, Feed me the ball. I can lead this team in in touches, and I can get it done on the ground. And it just hasn't happened for him since. So maybe it's, uh, you know, you have a long season, your first year in the NFL. Uh, the injury could play a factor, but he hasn't been the same guy. I'm I'm with better. He, I'm with where he's more of last year, but I think it's only slightly. I, I don't okay. think he's as good as he was last year. And as, in the Super Bowl, he, was, he had nine catches. He was at 100 receiving the yards. receiver. Yeah, was. It was unbelievable. I don't think he's that good, but he's also not this. He's banged up, and it is weird though. Sunday because he's supposed to be 100 percent healthy now, right? Is that what we what you guys were told? Yeah. Well, why did Smallwood get more carries? Well, nobody's 100% healthy, well, as they true. tell you, right? Yeah. He had, in the what, National eight Football carries League. for not seven yards or something like that? Yeah. Well, great. I guess they were ineffective carries, maybe ineffective yeah. carries. That's why. All right, a quick one here for you, Joe. Jake Elliott, last year, 84% on field goals, 26 of 31, including 17 of 19 over 40 yards. This year, he's just 11 of 15 and 1 of 3 over 40 yards. I think this is the real Jake Elliott. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe later this season or certainly next year, Jake Elliott becomes another name. Like, we look back and like, remember the year Jake Elliott held his crazy field goals? It goes the way of Cody Parkey. That's right. And he's kicking somewhere else, so they have a new kicker. Yeah, I'm, like, it was cool last year to an extent. Like, oh, he misses all the 35-yarders. He makes the (laughs) 60-yarders. You can't live like that in the NFL. You have to make the 35-40-yarders. He's just too inconsistent on kicks he should make. I don't think he's very good. Yeah, or a colleague, Rich Hoffman, is famous for saying when they line up for a 35-yarder, they're not in his range. <laughs> Take a couple of delay game penalties, get back there a little bit, and get in his range. It, it's so tough with kickers because their performance fluctuates year to year. You usually want to look at sort of their kickoffs. Is their leg strength there because the accuracy can go by the wayside and then come back? So if I'm just looking at the history of kickers around the NFL, I would probably lean towards what Joe said, you know, that he's going to be more of what he is this year than maybe what he was last year. And I think because kickers are so um, impossible to predict, the fact that he has that strong leg is probably why you keep him around. But I think it is probably somewhere sort of in between. It's flown under the radar, though, for sure, Yeah, his struggles. All right, this is the big one. Doug Peterson's aggressiveness. All right, Uh guys? Uh Uh-oh. We are looking at, this is a, a certain type of sample, but we are looking at, The drives at the end of the first half with under four minutes to go when the Eagles get the ball. Last year, the Eagles had 13 such drives. And on those drives, they began on their own 27-yard line, leading by an average of four points. On those 13 drives, four touchdowns, two field goals, and two missed field goals. So they were averaging 6.5 plays for 47.6 yards. This year, they have nine of those drives already, no touchdowns, Two field goals, two missed field goals, an average of just five plays for 22 yards. That's less than half. And they're not starting in different areas. They are starting on their own 30, which is a better starting position than last year, and up by 2.7 points. Even more of a reason to be aggressive, Doug Peterson wrote in his book, Fearless, as she likes to remind us that he, wa- that he watched the Jaguars uh, turtle at the end of the first half against the Patriots, decided he was going to be aggressive. Last week, he did not follow that suit. Do you think that Doug Peterson's coaching style is more like last year or more like this year? Well, I would say this. I'll go first. I, I think that Doug should read the final copy of the book that he wrote because he's not acting like it this year. And you I mentioned those numbers right. are real. I will say he's more like last year because of his first year. He was very aggressive in 2016. It got thrown away because they were 7-9. and nine. There were other things going on. 
But I go back to, I think it was the Bear game, the second game of his rookie year. They were going for the fourth down in the first quarter uh, with Carson Wentz in, in Chicago. Like, he's been doing stuff like this early in his tenure before they were even good. I think that's his nature. So I think it's more like last year than it is this year. But I'm getting a little worried. I, I want aggressive Doug back. This is an interesting one because I did a story on Doug Peterson's days as a high school coach in Louisiana. And so I'm talking to his former players and I'm trying to draw parallels. You know, he does this now. Was he doing this back then? And the one thing they said was he wasn't this aggressive, go for it on fourth down all the time type coach. They were like, when it was time where a normal coach would punt, we would punt. Like we weren't doing these crazy, you know, they, they, their theory was, you know what? He was going up against Belichick and Brady in the Super Bowl. He knew he had to put up points, so he was a little bit aggressive, and I tried to explain that it was more than that. But, yeah, in the book, in his press conference, you know, he always says, I'm aggressive by nature. That's just sort of the way I am. Well, you know, you weren't when you were coaching high school. You weren't this year. Like, that's what annoyed me more about that coaching performance Sunday than anything else. Like, I don't care that you're backed up at your own four. The guy we saw coaching games last year is saying, we saw it in the NFC title game. You remember that? 29 seconds left. You're at your own 20 against the best defense in the NFL, and he's throwing deep to Zach Ertz down the left sideline. And so that just hasn't uh, been there for them this year. They've been terrible at the end of half this year, one of the worst in the NFL all right, I'm going to say he's a little bit. I'm going to still say he's more the guy we saw last year because my theory is it's not about the analytics with him. It's more of I want the players to know I trust them and build that relationship where they say, all right, co- you know, the coach really believes in us and he's going to put us out there. He needs to get back to it though. This is uh, this is you know another situation like they had Sunday, and uh, I'm going to be changing my opinion. I'm sorry to say that both of your arguments have been rectified. Uh, null and void because neither of you has ever been on the sideline calling a game, and so you cannot possibly criticize Doug Peterson. You cannot have an opinion unless you are watching 18 hours of film a week. Shiel, how long? How long? A is, day. How long does it take you to, to put together your all 22s? Yeah, a few hours. Yeah, so you can't. You, yeah, you're not qualified. Yeah, I know. I I stopped asking questions. <laughs> Eight 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 seven two nine ninety four nine. We'll come back. Your phone calls on Birds of Friends. We'll look ahead. Headlines, guessing them, and to these guys' trips. Out to London, where Bo gets to go home, to the homeland. All that's coming that's right. up. And a little comparison between Doug and some other coaches around the NFL. I just thought of during that segment. We'll bring that up as well. 888-729-9494. Shiel, tell everyone how they can subscribe to The Athletic. Yeah, it's theathletic.com slash WIP. You get 30% off and a seven-day free trial. If you don't know what it is, you get, you get no ads. Uh, no autoplay video, none of that. We're covering all of the Philadelphia sports teams, and you'll get national coverage as well. It's a hot time in Philadelphia sports. Go check it out. See what you think. like old times here on the evening show. Bo Wolf, and you know, when Bo first started coming on the show, this is the song we played in with. Bo, you get to go home to the motherland this week. And why is that, Joe? Because why was that the song that you Because I played? thought you were British. An easy mistake to make. Yes. If anybody listened to the show, uh, the Birds with Friends episode yesterday, I'm sure they would make the same mistake. They, they did. I got tweets about it. Like, you, you were right about Bo. He's British. You guys get to, you leaving tomorrow? Sheila's leaving first thing in the morning. I don't That's want right. to speak for him, but he's got that early morning flight. I'm leaving tomorrow night, the overnight, into Friday morning. So uh, it's very exciting. Which is more beneficial, you think? Who will be fresher on Sunday? Because well, this is a big thing. Well, I'm doing what the Eagles are doing. The Eagles are doing the, the Thursday night into Friday morning. And, uh, you know, 
People talk about a big advantage for the Jaguars having done this trip before. I mm-hmm. think there is a real advantage to it. I don't know how big. It's obviously impossible to quantify, but I think there is some real advantage to it. Doug Marone on his conference call today said there's probably too much made of it. The two big things you need to know are sleep on the plane and stay up all day on Friday. Get your body clock back to normal. Yeah. What well, thinking? that's what the Eagles are doing. Yes. Right? That's what Doug Peterson is But you got to make sure said. you actually sleep on okay. the plane. Which is very difficult to do. What, and we'll get to headlines here in a second and try to guess and, and our thoughts of what, what might happen either way. But what do you guys think about the way the Eagles and Doug have handled this? It seems like they could have went over earlier. That Thursday was when they decided to go. They're, they're trying to, the way Doug talked to it and I was listening to him, it almost felt like he just wanted to handle it like it was any other road game. Just like, let's go, let's play, and then we'll come back. Yeah, I mean, well, when you look at the trip, it's not that much longer than flying to L.A., yeah. right? So it's, I mean, the time difference is the big thing, obviously. And so uh, they're going to fly over. Thursday night, like Bo said, and, you know, try to power through. I think they have a practice around 2 o'clock local time in London on Friday. And so they want to just get through that. And then after that, it's like, already, all right, everybody take a deep breath, catch up on your sleep, sleep in on Saturday, and uh, get ready for the game on Sunday. So I don't know, you know, what the science says. I'm sure they've looked into what other teams have done and what the science does say. So I, I don't have a big issue with it. Yeah, there it. are some thoughts that maybe you stay on East Coast time while you're over there, but they have chosen to, to just stay on local London time. My sense is that, you know, Doug has made some, made some calls around the league, what worked for other guys, and is sort of doing it that way. So it seems like the Eagles aren't going to be doing much sightseeing. How about you guys? You're going to take advantage of the trip? Yeah, we'll see some things. Right? Yeah, I'm going to dip on down to Paris afterwards. It's the bye week, That's baby. That's right. There Bo's not even coming back. Yeah. How when about he, that? He may never come back. Will Bo be here for Birds with Friends next week? As long as there's no delays, I'll be right here. Well, you know what, guys? Big announcement. Bur- Birds with Friends next week. I'm going to be out next week. Jack Fritz is going to be on this side. Oh, He'll be wow. sitting in this seat. I, what a mistake. Oh, He's going to be mistake. playing that song like... Uh, acoustic style, just playing it for us with his flute. He will be doing that. All right, before our hour ends here, guys, let's talk about the headlines. Monday, let's let's first hit a win, which the Eagles need. If the Eagles win on Monday, Bo, what is the uh, the talking point on Monday? I'll tell you who I think we're going to be talking about if the Eagles win this game. A little bit off the board. I think we have seen almost nothing from the Eagles linebackers so far this season. They've been very quiet. They have been very quiet. We know that the Jaguars, if they are going to try to have any success, it's going to be coming on the ground. They're going to try to bring uh, Carlos Hyde into this game, give him the ball. I think maybe we will see a big game from Jordan Hicks. He is pushing, uh, you know, obviously for a a contract in a contract year. He has been relatively quiet. He did start the, the game against the Giants, forcing that interception of Eli Manning. But other than that, not a ton of big plays. I think maybe we get to see sort of a big 2015 version, 2016 version Jordan Hicks game in this game, and the Eagles uh, come away by stifling the Jaguars' offense. Okay, I think that's a good one. I'm going to stick with the defensive side of the ball because I think both teams are really going to struggle to move the ball offensively. I'm going to go with the guy who has been unhappy with how many snaps he's been Mm, playing all year. Your old friend. My old friend from Seattle, Derek Barnett, is now injured. Michael Bennett, you're going to get out there. You're going to play a lot of snaps. I actually think he's been playing pretty well, uh, can rush from defensive end and the interior. But, yeah, he's just going to be playing more. And that Jaguars offensive line is not good. They are on their third string left tackle. So, like, get in there, make some noise, prove why you should have been getting more snaps all along. Blake Bortles, uh, you know, a fumble machine, create some turnovers. So I think Michael Bennett may be the guy we're talking about Monday if the Eagles do pull out this victory. I'm on the same theme as defense with you guys, and I think this is the week the Eagles actually force turnovers because mm. they just don't mm. force turnovers this season. 
I think Avante Maddox. I could see Blake oh, Bortles like throwing that. it up yeah. a couple times, and Avante Maddox makes his first big play and kind of rewards all that faith that Jim Schwartz has him. So I'll go Avante like Maddox. How about if they lose? If they drop to three and five, Bo Wolf, what, what name are we hearing? What are we talking about Monday? Well, I and feel you, like this is – go ahead. No, and you, are you going to give us your, your pr- real prediction too as well? Well, uh, well, let's do this first, and then okay. I'll give you the prediction. Right. I, uh, I think this is sort of cheating because I know that the way the mechanics of the, uh, the sports talk is going to work. But given his comments today that uh, looking at the tape of the Jaguars, he understands why – he is even more reason why Colin Kaepernick – should be in the league. Uh, you get the way things work around here. I think that if uh, if the Jaguars are going to win this game, they're going to need something from Blake Bortles. And if he does have a, a good game, which he has done several times in London, everybody's going to be saying, why did Malcolm Jenkins give the Jaguars bulletin board material? I'm going to go on the offensive side of the ball for this one, a guy you've mentioned before, and that Jaguars defensive line and pass rush is really good. The guy who rushes from the side across the left tackle is Yannick Ngakwe, who nice job. apparently in a fight with his teammates after last game, but he's a very good player. Jason Peters, I think, is going to have his hands full. I mean, he's playing injured through so many injuries. He had a tough go last week. Uh, I think we could be saying, man, is this it for Jason Peters if they lose this game, if he has a really rough outing? I'm going to give you a theme I think we're going to start hearing next week if the Eagles lose. If they fall to 3-5, and five, which probably means they're heading for a 500 or below season, I think we're going to start hearing the word Fluke. The 2017 mm. Eagles were a fluke. Seven and nine, Super Bowl, and then another seven and nine kind of season. I think we're going to kind of revisit what the heck happened last year if this team can't get back to 4 4. Guys, this was fun. Next week, I won't be in. I think you'll be back from Europe. We'll Should see. Be. Sheila, I know you'll be here. Jack will be, be in here. my seat, and you guys will have another good birds with friends. I appreciate you coming in, and uh, well, enjoy your trip. I'll be reading. Over at The Athletic. One more time. She'll tell everyone how they can subscribe. Theathletic.com slash WIP. Get yourself a 30% off discount. Seven-day free trial. If you haven't checked it out, we will have all the coverage from London. Plus, you get Sixers, Flyers, Phillies. We have no offseason. Uh, please subscribe and check it out. All right. That's The Athletic. 888-729-949 for to hop in. And it's October, the most exciting time of the year. The NFL's in full swing. The NBA and NHL seasons are starting. The MLB playoffs are here. And you could bet on all of it. With Fan Duel Sportsbook tomorrow night, Thursday night. Well, week eight begins, and I like the home team down in Houston to win that game and get to five and three. You can bet on that or anything with Fan Duel Sportsbook. Right now, Fan Duel Sportsbook is only available in New Jersey. You could download the app, deposit, and check out the lines from anywhere, but you'll only be able to place bets in the Garden State. Best of all, Fan Duel will double your first deposit. Just use my promo code Gilio, G I G. LIO, if you deposit 20 bucks, they'll give you another 20 to bet with all the way up to $100. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app or visit FanDuel.com slash NJ. That's FanDuel.com slash NJ. And use my promo code Julio to get your bonus and start betting today.